Welcome to the Waiting Warriors podcast. As loved ones of first responders and military personnel, we often face life situations and challenges that many others don't experience. And while each of us and our experiences are unique, together we can learn from one another and become stronger in this journey of life. Now let's step out of mediocrity. It's time to thrive. Hi, Waiting Warriors, and welcome to a very, very special episode of the Waiting Warriors podcast. For those of you who don't know, I'm like a little giddy and starstruck over here. Um, We have Corey Weathers with us, Um, and welcome to the show, Corey. Yeah, thank you, Michelle. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. It's so fun. So I have been listening to Corey all week. We... um, it's March when we're talking. So, but the military spouse wellness summit just finished up and Corey hosts that. So I've been listening to her voice. And then she also is the host of the life giver podcast for service families, which if you guys do not know about, you need to go listen to that one. That is so good. Um, and she is a licensed Professional oh, counselor. Professional That's counselor. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I always want to like There's say the right many. words. Yeah. There's so many. Because <laughs> like, not therapist, but professional counsel. Um, and she consults for a nonprofit organization and business that provides online counseling and coaching for service families, which I think is amazing. And I love that you have it online because that's what we need. We're never in one spot. Mm-hmm. For as long as we have a problem, that's always, always the case. So thank you so much. And you guys have been active duty for 11 years, right? That's correct. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been married for, you know, actually by the time this airs, we will celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary, which is crazy to me. Crazy. Like I just said to him the other day, like, can you believe we hit 20? Like we are <laughs> like crossing some kind of finish line or something. And he's like, I know that goes so fast. Um, no, but 20 years, which sounds crazy. Now I feel old, but, um, we didn't know when we first got married that this was going to be our life. Like we, um, thought that we were going to either work in the academic world. Um, I always knew that I wanted to do counseling. Um, he thought that he wanted to teach like Greek and Hebrew and, and then all of a sudden he came home one day and said he wanted to become a chaplain. And I told him no. And I hit for about a year and a half. I said, you're crazy. We didn't sign up for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, long story short, it's, it is exactly what he was created to do. And we would, we just would not even turn back. It's, it's the best thing that we could have been called to do with our lives. Mm-hmm. So is he a chaplain? He is a chaplain in the army. Um, he also has a counseling degree, although he hasn't gone there out of licensure because it's not as necessarily, I mean, you can do that as a chaplain, but he just has not found that that's something that he really wanted to do yet. Um, he's really more strategic minded and loves the ethics behind things. And so, um, but he is a chaplain and we are currently in South Carolina. Um, he is teaching what I like to call baby chaplains at the boot camp mm-hmm. that they have here. Um, at Fort Jackson. And so we're loving that it's full circle. So, you know, where he first started now he's teaching those chaplains. And so that's been a blast. 
Um, and by the time this airs, we're going to be getting ready to move to Kansas, which of all places, Kansas. Um, <laughs> but I'm learning to get a little bit excited about that as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's been a chaplain for about 11 years now. So we've been active duty for about 11 years. That's awesome. My husband's a chaplain. So when you said you were in South Carolina, I was like, oh, I know, yeah. I know where he is. Yes. I know exactly where he is. But Kansas won't be too bad. They've got the barbecue, right? Like Kansas barbecues. Oh. I know. That's what, that's the biggest thing I think yeah. I'm looking forward to. <laughs> that and snow. I'm so excited for snow. Yeah. So excited. Yeah. South Carolina, this, I have a sister kind of near South Carolina, but, or near Fort Jackson. And the weather has just not been fun for you guys this year. And we tend to attract natural disasters. So, <laughs> um, or human disasters too. So in Augusta, we had an earthquake and like a terrific ice storm. Mm -hmm. Last time we were here at Fort Jackson was the Columbia flooding. When we were in Charlottesville, Virginia, it was the riots in Charlottesville. And mm -hmm. now here we've had two hurricanes. And so we're kind of afraid to bring team weathers to um, Kansas as far as what's going to happen. But, you know, we're just along for the ride and we as a family just see what's going to happen next. It's part of living active duty life. You just kind of have to make it fun sometimes. I was going to say that's like the perfect model for military life. Just ride in it. Just take the ride. So I kind of want to get into your story. So you weren't planning on this active duty life. Were you a counselor before you guys went active duty? I was, you know, um, we met in undergrad, we met in, in college and I was a, I was a music major that realized that I, I wasn't going to have a thriving career in music. It just kind of, it was an epiphany that hit me all of a sudden, even though my dad had been kind of yelling at me for years that this was not a great career route. <laughs> and I switched to psychology and, um, and loved it. I just fell in love with it. So I knew starting off, um, that I wanted to do counseling of some kind. I knew that I wanted to go and get my degree for counseling to be able to get a license. Um, so before we went into active duty, actually when he came home and said he wanted to become a chaplain, I had actually finished my degree, was working on my licensure. We were in Kentucky at the time, and I actually was working with women out of prison with PTSD and substance abuse issues, and I really, really enjoyed that a lot. I didn't think substance abuse was like the field that I wanted to do permanently, but it was shaping me and taught me so much. Um, and I was working, you know, like a lot of other military spouses out there, I was working on licensure in one state. And so for him to come home and say he wants to become a chaplain, it completely derailed that whole plan. Yeah. Um, but I always knew that trauma was something that really intrigued me that I always knew from the very beginning that, um, I mean, I don't think I had words to it then that I now have. But I now can look back and say that I've always been at my best when I'm sitting with people face to face in their darkest moments. And my favorite thing to do, and again, I couldn't articulate this at the time. I just knew that I wanted to do something in helping people. But now I can say that that darkest moment that I um, find when I'm sitting with somebody, I get so much joy out of just that one little tiny baby step that they take from going from a hopeless place to suddenly having direction, that that's, um, to me, I think what, what created or that's where Life Giver was really born because it really was breathing life into this moment and really helping people have hope for um, something that they felt like they didn't have hope for before. So I always knew that I wanted to do something like that. And then going into the military, it seemed like at least this uh, place that I could at least evolve 
whether it was working with trauma stuff. Um, but really my, my love and my passion turned more into marriage as we went along. Okay. And as you, so you have this background, a well, well-educated background, and then you enter military life. Was there ever a moment where you kind of found yourself in the thick of it and in like, I just like the dirty, just the tension or the stress and you kind of had to pause and realize like, wait, I have tools to help me get through this, but you got farther into, into just that, um, that tension and stress than you ever thought you would have, you know, does that make oh. sense? Oh, yes. I mean, like our first assignment was that, right? Like, <laughs> you know, we came from, you know, the mental, the civilian culture. We mm-hmm. literally were coming from the civilian culture. And for those who are listening that don't know a whole lot about the chaplain journey, you said your husband is a chaplain as well. You mm-hmm. have to do good three years of ministry experience before you can come in as a chaplain. Mm-hmm. So we had to kind of work it, or he had to work in the church for about those three years while I kind of set up a makeshift private practice in Georgia, again, a different state. Right. But, um, you know, so when it was time for him to come into our first assignment and we were sent to Colorado, which was a huge blessing. Um, it was like, we were of all places like Colorado. We didn't know Colorado was an option for the military. So we were like, sign us up. Yes. We love this life. Um, but yeah, that first assignment, my kids were young. They were five and two and nine months after we got there, he was deploying for a year. Um, the longest I had ever been apart from him was the 14 weeks that he was at his basic, mm-hmm. you know, which the last time that had happened was when I was actually pregnant with, you know, my now five-year-old. So 14 weeks of separation and then fast forward five years and you go to your first assignment and here I am going into a year long deployment. And, yeah. um, on top of that, you know, we had a very historic deployment that we now have at least five books have been written about our unit from that assignment, as well as um, two movies that are now coming out, um, two medals of honor. And it's one of the most highly decorated battles in Afghanistan <laughs> war history. And that was our little unit, our yeah. little, you and know, that's, squad. that's cool to like look back on, but you do not want to yeah. live that. <laughs> And so for me, with these toddlers, with the skill set that I had at the time, the, the best that I could do was use the skills that I had to say, hey, of all the volunteer opportunities, sign me up to be the, the care team coordinator. So let me train up the volunteers on grief. Let, you know, I don't mind, even though I was scared out of my mind, um, let me be that first person that sits with a gold star widow. And, um, and it was very, very intense. And I just, you know, speaking to exactly what you were saying, as far as sitting in that muck and that tension, um, I specifically remember sitting after spending all day, like all day going from one gold star widow's house to another gold star widow's house to another gold star widow's house. Um, because of the battle that we had had that day, I was beyond, and there were so many moments that I was beyond exhausted, but that day in particular, I remember sitting in the grass in my backyard while my kids were running circles around me because they had not gotten their physical energy out, their wiggles Mm -hmm. out. Right. And I don't have a husband to do that rough and tumble. You know, some of those, especially wives that are listening know that if you have boys, they just need that guy roughing around. And I was so exhausted from trying to play that role, you know, but then on that particular day, I just, I was just staring. I was just staring through the fence 
to the farthest distance that I could possibly like put my eyes on and I was not functioning. Mm -hmm. And, um, had it not been for my neighbors, honestly, um, there's no way that I would have gotten through that season. And so, and there's been so many moments since then, even, you know, we're getting ready to drum up, I think probably our seventh or eighth move now. And it's still overwhelming to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, you know, all the skills in the world sometimes don't prepare you for this lifestyle and thank goodness, right? Because if they did, then, you know, I would be flawlessly going through this experience of life and, um, we wouldn't relate to anybody. And I'm so thankful that we have this community Um, to rely on for that level of support because when it all comes down to it, you can't do anything without each other. Yeah. So your, your whole mission is to breathe life into marriages. Can you give us like two or three tips or like the top things, something that everybody could listen and like go home and do to kind of help or maybe even explain just a little bit more of what you mean by breathing life into marriage. Yeah, you know, um, it's so hard to narrow it down to two or three because um, everybody's life experience and marriage is different. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do my best to kind of off the top of my head say like some of my my top favorites based off of I think a lot of the couples that I work with. And um, to me, this came from like, what does it mean really to breathe life, right? If you're going to breathe life into something, something is stalled or stagnant or dead or um, numb even. And I run into so many marriages and I've even experienced in my own marriage, even within that 20 years moments where you have this crisis moment of like, can we really do this? Like, can I, are we going to be able to heal from this or move forward? Or is there a future for us? Like we all experience those kinds of questions, I think in our marriage. Um, and if you haven't like reach out to me and tell me what you're doing, right? Because marriage is <laughs> yeah. really hard. It's yeah. really hard. It's great joy, but there's also great um, stretching of your character and difficulty. And so um, to me, I had read a book by Tammy Maltby. It's an older book called um, Life Giving. And I, it was, it was a book that was a lot about hospitality, but what I loved about it is that she was talking about what kind of character are you going to have, what kind of person do you want to choose to be that when you are in someone else's presence, that they automatically have life breathed into them simply because of who you are mm-hmm. and whoever it is that you are, it's not all about what you're doing in that moment or whether or not you have all the right answers. She was saying that if you have this stillness and this sense of peace and and I would add to that confidence and certainty in who you are and you have the ability to be authentic in that and you are grounded, then you have the ability that just your presence could have the opportunity to breathe life into someone else. And I, kn- I looked back and I thought I could name off maybe three or four women in my life that when I was around them, that's what happened to me. Like there's just something about them that they're just so peaceful or centered and And I have women that even come to my mind right now that I try to keep in touch with that breathe life into me just simply because of who they are. Mm -hmm. And that is kind of where it came from for me is how do I help encourage people to make specific changes to be somebody? Yes, there's things that we can do, but how do you be somebody that breathes life into somebody else, whether it's your kids or your marriage or a friend or a neighbor? And so if I were to give you a couple things, um, 
And this is something that I have to work on every day and I struggle with every day and I don't have the capacity to do this perfectly every day. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's a, a life challenge for me too, is do I want to be a life giver today? And so to me, it takes number one, what am I grounding myself in each day? And so I am even learning, even now with kids that are now teenagers, I can't believe I'm saying that, but I have to have a time to ground myself every day and remind myself who I am, whose I am, and what my purpose is. Because if I don't do that, um, I am like distracted all day long and the world just kind of pulls at me and I feel confused and, and just irritable, honestly, and exhausted by the end of the day. And so um, I think that's number one. And I think for so many service marriages in, in particular, we have such a chaotic lifestyle that sometimes you feel like your lifestyle is running you instead of you running mm-hmm. your day. Or, or I don't think we can run the lifestyle, but we can choose how we spend our day and where we center our minds. So that would be number one. Like, how are you grounding yourself every day so that you can then be the person that you need to be? I think number two And this is a tough one for me to have to sort out, but I have to also ask myself, what am I responsible for? Like I'm responsible for me and I can't control anybody else but me. I can't control my spouse. I really realize that I can't control my children, even though we try. (laughs) (laughs) And so I can't control myself. And so a lot of times with couples and in my own marriage, I have to ask myself, you know, I can control my reaction. I can control timeouts and taking time to go figure out what my thoughts are, my feelings are, figure out how I'm going to communicate those responsibly and in a healthy Mm -hmm. way. And you'd be surprised what kind of person you can be and what kind of life you can breathe into people's lives when you just slow yourself down long enough to decide how you're going to react to your lifestyle and react to what's happening in front of you. Um, So maybe I'm going to pause at those two just for a second and, and, kind of toss it back to you and see what you're thinking. Um, Cause I could keep going on and on with other things, but <laughs> those would be the top two yeah. uh, of what does it mean to like breathe life into your marriage? And I think into your own life at least. Mm-hmm. So how, like, how do we do that though? When military and first responder life is just crazy. It's, it's stressful because I know a lot of, whether it's military and your husband's on a deployment or it's first responder and you know they're physically in danger and you just can't help but get tense and kind of drawn into yourself and stressed out. How do you ground yourself and how do you just kind of realize that you only have control over yourself and be at peace with that though? I think that's, Man, that's such a good question. And I think the only way for me to answer it is to be really authentic in my answer. And honestly, I think that's what everybody would want from me anyways. Mm-hmm. And so some people may not like this answer, but I, I will tell you what I've personally experienced. I have, I've got the degree, right? I've got 20 years of experience of, of working with couples um, and experiencing my own marriage, right? And so I can tell you from experience that at the end of the day, we will always reach the end of our human capacity to have all the answers and to have the strength to do it. Um, there have been days that I have reached that point and gone, I, I have used every tool I know to use. I have done everything I know to do, and it's still not enough. Mm-hmm. And that brings it back to my faith, honestly. Like, um, 
we, we are not gods and I'm not a God. And so I have to seek out something bigger than myself. And so those of you that are listening, whether it's God or whether it's your faith, whether it's community, you even just take that first step to go, you know, what's bigger than me is community. What's bigger than me is my, my friendships with other people, my ability, just the ability to step outside of yourself and realize that you can't completely do it all by yourself. And so how do you ground yourself? I have to ground myself with the teachings of other people. I have to ground myself with scripture that to me is grounded in the values of truth. You know, if I'm really going to ask myself, what, what breathes life? Like who was the original person that breathed life into creation? God. And so um, how do I then breathe life into people if I don't allow my creator to breathe life in me? And so I will be honest and say that you can do all the right things and still find yourself stressed, still find yourself impacted by the life around you. And so I have to get up every morning. And I, again, I am not perfect at this. And it's something I struggle with every day because I'm so easily distracted by work and new ideas and my family that I have to tell myself, I have to get up early before anybody else. Um, I have to be away from my screens because my screens distract me. I can't do it at my desk and I can't do it with my phone sitting next to me and just have 20 minutes, 20 minutes to read the book that I'm reading, to journal, to pray, to read the Bible, whatever it is that I'm working on at that time, um, that 20 minutes grounds me. And I've noticed that the days that I've not done that are the days that are completely derailed where I have, like you're saying, the whole world impacts everything. And I find myself losing my peace, finding my, finding anxiety, Mm -hmm. um, feeling overwhelmed, just like everybody else that's listening. And so I'm, as I get older, I'm realizing more and more that I have to, to be disciplined in the things that bring me joy. And if I'm not good at disciplining myself, which most of us are not, there's only a few people that have the talent for that. <laughs> and I am not one of those. And most people are there. And so I have to create, um, create the opportunity for that to happen. So my schedule doesn't start until a certain time every day. Um, my, um, I have to create the routines that force me to do that every day, or I will completely derail it. I know now if I wake up and look at my phone, it won't happen. If I wake up and go to my desk, it's not going to happen. I have to figure out what is the routine and I implement that every single day. Um, and then I learn from the mistakes of when I don't do it. <laughs> so, Self-awareness is such a powerful thing. It is. So do you have like a third or a fourth tip? of things that people could do to breathe life into their marriage? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I think third, um, let's see, what are the, what are some of the biggest, you know, the top thing that service families bring me obviously is communication. Like how can we improve our communication? And so, um, I don't want, this is, I don't want this to sound like an overgeneralized answer. And so I'll try to expand just a little bit, but, um, a lot of times the problem or, I mean, the issue behind communication is that we are approaching marriage with um, the wrong motives. And that could be lots of different things. Um, if you're a spouse that stays at home and you're approaching your marriage out of resentment because you're so exhausted and tired and because you feel like the whole world is revolving, you know, your world is revolving around everybody else and you're not taking care of yourself, your, your communication towards your spouse is going to be fueled by anger and resentment. Um, if you are looking at your spouse and, and you're only seeing all the things that they're doing wrong, that motivation is going to just encourage 
just conflict. And so a lot of times taking a look at what are we bringing to communication in the first place? And I find that most couples at some point in their marriage go from, oh my gosh, I love you. You're my exact opposite. You like complete me. They go from that to like, you are driving me crazy. And why don't you want, why won't you do it my way? Like my way is better. I have I like, not see this, right? I've researched it. I've implemented it. The kids respond to it. And I just need you to come home and do it my way. Right. And, and then you have conflict and everybody wonders why. And so a lot of the work that I do with couples is to help them see the strengths in their spouse and shifting that mentality from, you know, the only reason why your spouse does it that way is because they have a, an actual talent to do it that way. And that doesn't mean that they should do it every time that way and it works for every situation, but it does mean that if we acknowledge that we both have strengths that we bring to the table, then we can find a use for it. We do this beautiful, we learn to do this very beautiful marriage dance. It's almost like a mutual submissive dance where sometimes my strength, my husband needs to like leverage or lean on my strength because it's being called for that situation. And sometimes I need to lean on his and sometimes we put the two together and we're a better team because of it. So a lot of, um, as far as what improves communication is changing our perspectives and adding a little bit of grace to that to go, you know what, I'm going to be graceful towards my spouse because they have a different set of strengths that I have. And I need to be graceful in the fact that they are bringing their day with them, right? You're bringing your day and, um, and they're coming home and, and they've been through a series of experiences that day, or they are coming home with a series of experiences from that deployment. And sometimes we need to um, push ourselves down, our selfish needs down, leverage grace, and then learn how to take those needs that we have and express them in a whole lot more healthy of a way that our spouse can actually hear and has the ability to actually do something about. So I think the fourth, I guess, and final thing would be to set your spouse up for a win. So what I mean by that is um, a lot of times we have a passive aggressive approach to our marriages. Let's say they come through the door at the end of the day and we're just exhausted and worn out. And we're just like, you know, I'm just going to wait for him to notice how exhausted I am and wait, right? <laughs> it's a knowing laugh, isn't it? <laughs> no, I never yeah. do that. I never, never ever. No. Right. And so they come home and we're like, we're so exhausted and tired. And we, we just wait for them to go, oh, honey, you look tired. Would you like for me to take the children and you go for a walk or a bath or go shopping? <laughs> like nobody does that. And we have yeah. this expectation and we don't even realize that we're testing them. And they're going to fail every single time if we're going to passively, passively, aggressively test them. Mm -hmm. Especially when it's not fair to our spouse if they don't know that they're being tested. At least let them know, right? Like yeah. tomorrow when you come home from work, here's the test and here's how you can pass or fail. Yeah. Like at least let them know. And so the, uh, the better way to do this is to set your spouse up for a win because here's the thing. Your spouse wants a good marriage too and so do you. And they want a win. They want... They, just as much as you do, they want to feel like they're doing something right in marriage instead of always doing something wrong. And so if you can just tell them how they can get it right and tell them when they can get it right, I guarantee you they're more likely to try to get it right. Yeah. So instead, tell your spouse, hey, you know, before they even get home, when they hopefully call you on the way home, I'm on my way home, hon, do you need anything from the store? You could say, no, I've actually gotten everything from the store, but I'll tell you what, I've had a really rough day. And I might need 30 minutes 
you know, once you get home and you get settled, I might need 30 minutes just to take a walk or a break. And that would really do this, this, and this for me. It'd make me love you more. It'd make me, you know, all, whatever it is, right? Not spinning it negatively, spinning it positively. And what that does is they want to win. They now know how to win. There's no passive aggressive test happening and everybody wins in the end. And so you'd be surprised what happens in your marriage and how life is like breathed into you and your marriage when you can set your spouse up for a win by telling them in a kind way, um, not in a manipulative way. I always tell people communicate with kindness, even the tough truths, we have to communicate them in kindness, mm -hmm. um, tell them specifically how to win. Yeah. When I like that because it's almost like we're changing our perspective and we're not assuming the worst of our spouse, because I think when we test them, then we do, we're assuming that they don't want to help us, that they d aren't recognizing our needs. Whereas it's like, how, who is ever going to recognize those needs unless you tell them or unless they come and see the children, like the moment they come in is when the children are freaking out and right. they see your face turning red and like you're going to lose your mind and then they send you on a walk. But unless they come in the thick of it, they're not going to see and no one ever would except for some mind reader, but nobody's a mind reader. Right. And Michelle, can I just add something that specific to service families that I'm seeing mm -hmm. a lot um, is that we need to remember who we're married to. Um, and this goes for both sides. This is not me saying that, hey, spouses at home, you need to revolve around your, your, your serving spouse. Because I know that a lot of, I'll get a lot of negative feedback if that's what I'm saying, because everybody's so tired already. That's not what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. But a, a key component in us um, succeeding in service marriages um, is, yes, they need to understand what our experience is as a, as a spouse of a warrior or a spouse of a serving spouse. That is important. And we need to learn how to communicate that well um, without the expectation that they fully like 120% know exactly what that's like because they can't. Just yeah. like I can't imagine what it's like for my husband to be a chaplain on a deployment and zipping his friends up in body bags. There's no way I will ever understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, unless you're a dual service couple, then we have a little bit more understanding. But we need to remember who we're married to and remember um, how not only are their personality that um, was drawn to this service lifestyle, but also the skills that the service lifestyle has asked of them that has habitually changed them over time. And so this is what I mean by that. Um, you know, I've had so many conversations with especially some of our special forces, special ops, um, SWAT team couples. Um, but I mean, this applies to anybody really, but you really need to ask yourself, um, let's, you know, I was talking with a spouse of a sniper um, this past week and she was really frustrated at her husband because he was coming home and he, he just seemed very cold and didn't have any empathy. Now, I'm not giving him a pass and saying that you can be cold to your wife and not work on that in your relationship. There needs to be appropriate boundaries and there always needs to be warmth in the relationship. But we also need to remember that our serving spouses are called to a job that requires them to, for most of them, an ability when called upon to take another life, right? Yeah. And so for some, not all, but for those that have, that are married to a serving spouse that 
have that requirement on them. You need to ask yourself, what is it that they have to do in order within themselves in order to do that job? And I see a lot of couples where then they come home from that job and we suddenly want them to be a completely different person that suddenly has empathy and compassion easily, right? That suddenly has warmth and suddenly cares about someone else, how someone else feels. We've got to give them time to decompress because if your job, especially in this sniper's case, is to be able to strategically take out another life, you can't do that if you're also being thoughtful and thinking about the loss that's about to happen. Let me empathize and put myself in that person's shoes or their family's shoes. They would be mission ineffective, yeah. right? And so I think we also need to remember for both sides who it is that we're married to and how this lifestyle has changed us in order that we can extend a level of grace. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, especially since no matter what their job is in the military or as a first responder, military and first responders are exposed to an amount of trauma just in general, whether that is taking a life or seeing a life that's been taken mm -hmm. or sprawled over uh, like a light pole or something like the trauma that they see is exponentially more than the average person. Correct. And then we do, we expect them to come home and treat us and act as a normal person. So right. I agree with you. They don't, they don't get the pass, but there does need to be grace and an understanding and a patience, but also like a loving way to bring it to their attention. Cause I know right. when my husband went to basic training, he enlisted first and then went to ROTC and became a chaplain. Um, but even just going to basic training changed mm -hmm. him a lot, mm -hmm. like a lot. Like, and it was weird because we got married in April. He joined and went to basic in October and then came home just at the end of March. So within a year of being married, all of this happened, but he came home and it was like, I wasn't married to the same person anymore. Like it, mm -hmm. it was, but in so many ways he was different. And it, I wish I had been, um, a little bit more vocal. I went the route of just like, I don't know what happened, but he's yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, so I do think that it is your responsibility as the spouse to lovingly bring it up. And I wish I had brought it up sooner because he didn't, he didn't want to change, but, but we need to be patient with them because just like we go through stuff with raising our kids or in our career and it changes us, mm -hmm. they're doing the same thing, but in a, in a more traumatic. Absolutely. Level. And, and let's just say, just to, I absolutely agree with everything you just said. And just mm -hmm. to balance that out, that it's also okay for you to ask your spouse to be patient with you. Yeah. You know, um, you were talking about this kind of transition that you experienced and I experienced the same thing. Um, in fact, as we're teaching these, you know, what I call baby chaplains, I call mm -hmm. baby soldiers, you know, yeah. uh, you know, we're walking through these, these chaplain spouses through this, you know, um, initiation process of becoming a military spouse. And one of the things that I've realized during this assignment, and I think this is probably true for everybody service in the serving 
lifestyle, including first responders, is that, you know, when your spouse is the one that goes to training or goes to the academy or goes to whatever to get their training, they go there first. And then it's almost like the spouse at home kind of follows into the lifestyle and figures it out as they go with not very much training, right? Yeah. So what I end up seeing is that the serving spouse is always like a step or two ahead of this transition than the spouse at home. And so what happens usually is they come home from that training and maybe they get into the lifestyle a little bit before the spouse is even like caught up to like, what is this? And like, why are you different? And what does that mean? You know? And so if, especially for military spouses, that first assignment is like your boot camp. you know what I mean? And yeah. for the responders that first year, it's kind of like your boot camp. And so you have to allow yourself to go through these changes too and know that you're going through your own transition probably a step or two or a season behind your spouse and give yourself the patience and to be able to also ask your spouse for that patience too. You know, I'm thinking, as you were talking, I'm thinking about the new chaplain spouses that I'm going to meet next month, a couple weeks away from graduation now. And, you know, they're so excited to see their spouse again from training. And you and I both know that same experience is going to happen. They're going to be so excited to see their spouse and then go, wow, you're different, right? Mm -hmm. And it's, sometimes it's a good difference. They've found purpose, like for my husband, when he came home from that basic, he was an entirely different person that suddenly had purpose in his life and joy and found where he belonged. And that was all wonderful. But he also changed in the fact that he was much more of an A type than I had ever experienced ever. <laughs> suddenly we have regulations to deal with and suddenly his tone is changing, right? Maybe in how he treats the kids or whatever this, and it changes over time, the longer that you're in. And so I just would say, I would agree with you that we all need to be patient with that process and, it's never healthy for us to repress all of those feelings for too long. If you need to give yourself some time to figure out what it is you're feeling and what you need to ask for, then definitely take that time. But at some point, figure out how to talk or ask for what you need with kindness. So being able to say, hey, hon, you know, I've noticed that you've gone through some wonderful changes and I'm so excited for you, but I am like overwhelmed and I don't know how to, and I'm scared and I don't know if I'm going to like this. And, you know, you're excited about something that I don't know if I'm excited about yet. And I haven't found my place in all of it. And I just want you to know that that's where I'm at. And there may not be a way for you to fix that right now, but I just want you to know that it's, that's where I'm at. And I hope that's okay with you. You know, that's, that's communicating in kindness, at least where you're at. So that then they at least know that. Yeah. I like it. I think it's so good for us because the conversations we've had about military life, it does kind of boil down to we need to be patient with each other. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not always fun for the service member and it's not always fun for me, but that doesn't mean that we aren't cut out for it. We aren't patriotic. We aren't. Right anything. It really just means that we're not superhumans who can handle the craziness that it is to serve our community and country the way that we've been asked to serve. And that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I think I got as passionate as I did about serving families, because the more spouses that I saw in my counseling office, the more I realized, wow, everybody, including me, we're all feeling this way. Mm -hmm. And when you start talking about that out loud, 
Um, it doesn't make you unpatriotic. It doesn't mean that you're falling apart. It just means that this is a rough season and you're not superhuman. And, um, and that's where I started to pick up on some of these themes that I felt like needed to be addressed in a much big, bigger um, way other than just in the counseling office, which I love, um, mm -hmm. but picking up on these themes that everybody's dealing with. Yeah. So I want to ask you one last question that we always yeah. end with. Um, what is your key to thriving that you want to share with your fellow waiting lawyers? Okay. So I think that, um, again, this is going to sound cliche-ish, but I'm going to say it very strongly because I really mean it. Um, we could talk all day long and listen and list, you know, all day, what are ways that we can take better care of ourselves Mm -hmm. And everybody listening would be able to say, oh, yeah, 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 I need to sleep better. I need to exercise. I need to eat better. I need to do, you know, all these things. Um, but the real question is, why aren't you doing it? Because the epidemic in our marriages right now is that both sides are not doing a good job taking care of themselves. And um, we tend to be a culture that serves everybody else before ourselves, including your serving spouse, if you're listening. Yeah. Um, everybody tends to love people, love their community, love their country, and serve somehow, serve your children, serve your family, serve your husband, whatever. Um, and we all know what does it mean to take, what, is it, what are some activities that I can do to take care of ourselves? But if we're not doing it, then we can't blame other people, especially our spouse, if we are burned out. So as, as far as my key to thriving, um, especially now that I'm in my forties, I realize that nobody can take care of me, but me. And I, that sounds really obvious, but I would bet most people listening, um, don't implement it. And that means that I have to say no to certain things. And that also means that I have to be an advocate for myself. So if you physically are not feeling well, then go and to, do whatever you have to do to get your body healthy. Go to the doctor, go to the chiropractor, go to find that trainer, whatever, whatever's going on, go to that physical therapist, whatever you have to do to get your body healthy. You can't wait for someone else to do that for you. If you're finding yourself in a place where spiritually and emotionally, you're not in a good place, nobody can fix that. But you, you've got to start picking up that book or setting aside that 20 minutes, getting up before everybody else does and do that because you deserve it. You are worth being a better you. And if you don't do it and take control of you, then nobody else is going to do it for you. And at the end of the day, who are we actually going to complain to that that didn't happen? Mm -hmm. So um, my key lately is I've gone through a year where everything that I felt like I needed to address, I found a way to address it. When my body wasn't feel, feeling right, I went and took care of that. Um, I, you know, try in each assignment, if I'm able to, depending on how long we're there, I go see a counselor too. Like I, I get those checkups because I'm not a God and nobody is. And so we have to do those things to make sure that we're in a healthy place. So I think that would be my encouragement to whoever's listening is whatever, and you know what it is, cause you're probably thinking about it right now. Whatever that thing is that you're not doing that you keep saying, if I just had an hour, this is what I'd go do. You need to carve that time out in your schedule to do that for yourself because you're worth it. Yeah. And I like, I like how you brought up just asking yourself that question. Like we all know we need to be doing those things and we all know what we need to do at a basic level and just asking yourself, why are you not doing it? Right. Because there really is no good answer 
for not? There isn't, you know, and I recently started doing, you know, just to give an example, I recently um, started the whole 30, right? Some people have done that before and I put it off for so long. Why? Why did I not want to do that for myself? And you don't have to do whole 30. You can do something else. Let's, <laughs> I'm just an example of nutrition just for a, a mm -hmm. second. I knew that taking that step would make me feel better, would bring some level of health and self-care into my life. And so really what it came down to is why, why wasn't I doing it? Why wasn't I starting it? Because I didn't feel like it and because I knew it would be hard and I wasn't ready for it. Like, and that's kind of hard to accept. And once you accept that, you go, you know what? I can't blame anybody else but me if I'm not going to fit in my pants, right? <laughs> right? I, got, I have to decide what is, uh, what, am, am I worth it enough to do something that's even hard? And if you can't do it and you need that accountability, then go find somebody to do it with you. Um, but you have to decide this is something that I want for my life. And I can tell you after two weeks of doing it, I feel remarkably better. And it wasn't as hard as I thought, right? So um, asking yourself that question is so, um, so, so important. Yeah, I like it. Well, thank you so much. I feel, I feel well fed and I feel like you're a person who kind of breathes life into people. And so thank you so much. Thank you so much for all you do. Um, for your podcast, for coming on the show. This has been amazing and a really, really big special treat for me personally. Michelle, it was so my honor. Thank you for what you're doing and how you're investing in lives too. I have no doubt that you're a life giver as well. And so I'm thrilled that we're out in this space doing it together. Yeah, totally true. Well, for all of you waiting warriors out there, have a good week. Find ways to just do one thing and ask yourself that question. If you know what you should be doing to take care of yourself better, why aren't you doing it? And just make that plan. Get it going. Because you are worth it. You are. It's like the whole theme of everything I ever say. Like, just do it. It's hard, but you can do it. Hi, guys. I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I know I've been learning so much, so please share with any friends and family you know. Whether you know someone who is a waiting warrior, or if you just think one episode can shed some light to friends and family about what you're going through, share. And always remember, we're stronger together, and here we can thrive. Until next time, have an awesome day.